Amen. Hey, y'all give it up for everybody leading us in worship this morning. Appreciate you guys. And always so blessed to have them. You know, they serve in all three services. So I know they get up early and they're here a great deal. We just greatly appreciate them. Hey, listen, if you're visiting with us, you chose an awesome day to show up, all right? Normally, I don't preach from a, a bench and a, a table here, but we're doing something a little bit uniquely different. And so uh, that's why we have this set up here so that I'll be able to share with you. But we're in a series. This is actually the fourth installment and the last of a series entitled The Switch. And the goal really is that we would turn on a missionary mindset. And you and I, as soon as we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were uh, ushered into the family of God. We joined together uh, a worldwide missionary movement to actually reach people with the good news of Jesus. So we've been challenged to do that. And now that we are a part of that particular movement, we have been given instructions from Jesus Christ himself. And so we're going to look at those instructions again this morning. They've been the theme verses for the entire series. But Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 19. So let's all stand together if we can. We're going to put it on the screen. I want us to all read it at the same time. So go ahead and stand up. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. I'll count to three and then we'll start. Are you all ready? Say yes. All right. One, two, three. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's bow together. Father, it's a great privilege to have marching orders. You have given us this great commission. Uh, our church, God, needs to be involved in this. Every follower, every disciple needs to be about seeking to reach others with the good news of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that from us, you would find faithful ambassadors ready, willing, and excited about sharing how we've come out of darkness and into your marvelous light. And then, God, I pray that you would also empower us by the Holy Spirit to speak the truth of the gospel to those who are far from you so that they might be radically saved. God, we're so thankful for how you have moved in our first two services. We're trusting that you'll do the same in this as you see fit. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would blow upon the congregation, that you would minister in a supernatural way, in a way that none of us can take credit, and we'll give you glory for it. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, and everybody said, amen. You guys can be seated. So our stated goal for the entire series is simple. We want to encourage you to live life like a missionary. Now, we began the series talking about how we needed to have the right perspective. So we gave everybody a pair of glasses. You'll remember that Sunday morning. That was to remind you that God is in the process of displaying his love to the world. Whenever we have that perspective, it changes how we think. It changes how we live. We also knew whenever we put those glasses on that Jesus was in the process of actually turning us into something that we are not. He's making us into missionaries. Jesus says, if you follow me, you'll become fishers of men. And so whenever you follow Jesus, you begin to share the message of Jesus with other people. That's part of following him. We also know that when we have the right perspective that we see the church local and universal as a direct representation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So those who are outside of the faith, those who are far from God, if they wanted to have a clear picture of who Jesus Christ is, they should look no further than the New Testament church. 
They should look no further than inside these walls to be able to see a reflection of Jesus Christ. So that is the perspective. God is in the process of displaying his love. Jesus is making you into a missionary. We are representing Christ. Those were the glasses that we put on. And whenever we have those glasses on, it causes us to have a hot heart. You remember the fireballs we handed out a couple of weeks ago? Not everybody liked the fireballs. You'll be all right, okay? But the fireballs were simply there to remind you that you are to have a hot heart for the reach. In the same way I put a fireball in my mouth and reach out for a cup of water, when you are hot-hearted for the Son of God, you begin to reach out to those who are far from the Lord. And so the Lord encourages us to actually reach out with a burden for the lost. He also not only gives us a burden, but he develops within us a plan to reach out to those who do not know the Lord. So if you've been involved in your community groups, you've had the opportunity to actually identify people that God has positioned you around that you can share the good news of Jesus Christ with. So you've got a hot heart, you've got the right perspective, and then last week we were challenged to really listen with sensitivity to the Holy Spirit at work in our life. See, the Holy Spirit empowers us to make disciples. Remember last week we all leaned in so that we could come to know that glorious truth. The Spirit of God will actually use us to make disciples. Now today, as practical as I possibly can, I want to spend the next few minutes actually sharing with you how to make a disciple. If you are going to make a disciple as Jesus commands us to do so, you must first start with sharing the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And this can be very uh, daunting for some individuals. It makes them a little bit nervous. But uh, I want to share with you a very simple way in which I share the gospel. Hopefully it will help you this morning. But before I do that, can I tell you a cool story that happened last Sunday? Last Sunday I finished preaching. I went to the house and all my kids were sitting there on the sofa. And I sat down and Gavin, who is my youngest son, we have four children, boy, girl, boy, girl, if you're visiting, that's the first time you've heard that. That's also a prayer request, all right? So we have these children. My youngest son, Gavin, is sitting on the couch, and I come in, and, man, I'm like a, you know, wash rag ringed out. I am dead tired on Sunday afternoons. And so I sit down on the couch, and as soon as I sit there, Gavin looks at me, who will, by the way, be seven in April. He says to me, uh, hey, Dad. I said, yes, sir. He said, I think it's time. So I looked at him and said, Time for what? Y'all all right with that question? He said, time for me to get saved. I can get down with that. Y'all all right? So he said, well, let's talk. So we began to talk and, you know, share with him again how he could come to know Jesus Christ personally, encourage him to pray and give his heart to Jesus. Came back to church last Sunday night. And as I was getting prepared and leaving, hopped in the truck and noticed I had a, a text message from my wife, Krista. And she said, because they had already beat me home, hustle home. Gavin wants to pray and give his heart to Jesus. So I did. I uh, drove over the speed limit. To the, this is confession. That's why I have this here, confession booth. But anyway, so I drove over the speed limit and got home in time and said, Gavin, uh, let's go back here into my room and talk. So we jumped up on the bed and I began to share with him. So here's what I shared. I got three objects and this is how I share the gospel most of the time. Uh, uh, this morning I brought to you some Gatorade to give you an example of the three objects. And uh, this Gatorade is brought to you by Rubens right down the street. Uh, got it on sale for 99 cent a pop. It's a little out of date, but I drink it anyway. God bless all of you. 
So I grabbed these objects and I grabbed one, not the Gatorade, I was using pillows, but I grabbed them and I'll let you know you can use any three objects. I'm going to share with you how to do that today. I've shared the gospel in restaurants and used a fork, a knife, and a spoon. I've shared the gospel the very first time that I can mentally remember was at Rack Room Shoes. I used a high heel boot and a tennis shoe, all right? So anything you can grab hold of will suffice. I've also shared in a person's home and used my wallet, my telephone, and some keys. But here's the deal. I grab two objects. I put one down and say this object represents God. This object here represents us. And here's the deal. God created us to have a relationship with him. But if you'll notice between us and God, there's this massive space. And that space is there because of our sin. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death. So if we die with sin in our life, with this space still between us and God, we'll spend eternity separated from God forever in a real place called hell. But God does not desire for that space to be between us and Him. And so God did not look at us and say, try your hardest to be a good person. God didn't say, make sure you go and get baptized. God didn't say, make sure you go to church regular. God did not give any command or anything for you to do to work your way to where He is. God knew that we could not do that. And so God, by his grace, showed us his love in his son, Jesus Christ. God sent his son, Jesus, to the earth to live a sinless life. The Bible says that Jesus went to the cross, and there on the cross he died for our sin. And after his death, he was buried and resurrected. And Jesus actually became a bridge that connects us with God. You see, Jesus died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And the moment that you turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ is the moment you step onto the bridge of the Son of God who gives you a personal relationship with the Father. Does this make sense? Yes? So this is a very simple way. Now, I sat down to share this with Gavin, and I'll tell you, I didn't get very far. I sat down and said, this is God and this is you, Gavin. He said, oh, yes, I already know all this, Daddy. You've shared it with me before. So he just took all three objects and went through the whole gospel himself. Are y'all all right with that? We should have just had him up here preaching. Can I get a witness? So I just told him, okay, if you want to place your faith in Jesus Christ, what you must do is just pray. You've got to admit you're a sinner, believe that Jesus died for you and got up from the dead, and make a decision to follow him. Jesus will save you. So we left the bed that night, and then it was time for him to go to bed, and Krista was taking him up there. Krista's his mama and my wife. And he said to her, mama, will you stand right there? I'm fixing to ask Jesus into my heart. I'm not real sure what he thought was going to happen, but he wanted mama beside him just in case something crazy went down. And so there he prayed. Krista actually left. She jotted down the prayer. I've got it here in my notes. Here's what my son Gavin, who will be 7 in April, prayed. He said, God, I admit that I am a sinner. He wasn't coached or anything. It's just what he prayed. I admit that I am a sinner. I believe Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. I want to live for Jesus for the rest of my life. And then I love this one. God, can I please be a Christian? Y'all all right with that? Yeah, he was here last service, he came forward, so y'all missed that, but I was fired up about his decision. He was fired up too. So fired up, in fact, he ran down the stairs to let me know he had just given his heart to Jesus. And then he wanted to go and share with his uh, sister and brother and younger sister, and they were already in the bed. It was kind of late for them already, it was around 9.30, so we walked into Maddie's room and uh, basically kind of shook her out from her days, and, and Gavin said, uh, Maddie, I just gave my heart to Jesus. And Maddie said, that is so awesome. She was all fired up, cheerleader -y. And then we went into Garrison's room, and Garrison was in there. He had a light on. His back was turned to us. And Gavin said, hey, Garrison, I just gave my heart to Jesus. And Garrison rolled over and said, that is awesome, man. And then while we were sitting there, uh, we asked Garrison what he was doing. Garrison pulled up a book. He said, I'm doing my devotion. 
Now think about that, right? Garrison's 10 years old. We gave him a devotion the moment he gave his heart to Jesus and just encouraged him to spend time with the Lord on a daily basis. Now, I'll tell you, you may think as a preacher that I go in with a bullwhip and make them all spend time with Jesus, but I don't. We just encourage them and we model them. And so there he is, he's spending time with the Lord, and then Gavin said, what are you doing? And then once we begin to explain how he was having a devotion, Gavin said, I guess I needed to be doing that. Can I get a devotion? So we downloaded one on the Kindle. Y'all all right with that? <laughs> Electronics. So Gavin gave his heart to Jesus. In a couple of weeks, he'll be baptized here in the church. I'm looking forward to that great occasion. But I share all that more or less to share with you that there are individuals, maybe perhaps even living in your home, who need to make a decision to follow Christ. You may be here this morning, and you need to make a decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And I will also say to you that if you are going to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you come in the exact same manner that my young son came. Jesus says you come with a childlike faith. Jesus even rebuked the disciples whenever the disciples were trying to push the kids away from him. And Jesus said, no, 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 you let those children come to me. Such is the kingdom of God. And so it doesn't matter if you're a 45 or 55-year-old man here today. If you want to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you come like a child. And so this morning, what I want to do is very practically walk through with you, giving you a little more detail on how you can share the gospel using three objects. So class, uh, let me ask you to see if you've got your memory uh, caps on this morning. Uh, who does this represent right here? God, very good. And then who does this represent right here? Very good. Now, let me give you a couple of statements that I'd encourage you to jot down. You've got them there in your listening guide. On one side, they'll fill in the blank. On the back side, you've actually got a whole process on how to share the gospel. I wanted you to have that with you when you left today. And uh, we took that from the Billy Graham Association off of their website. So we uh, downloaded it. It's made available to you. But this morning, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know that there is a space between us and God. And here is the number one reason that there is this space. Y'all ready for it? Say yes. Here it is, because God is holy and we are sinners. God is holy and we are sinners. There go the space between us and the Lord. God is holy. Let that sink in. He is pure and undefiled. He is without sin. He is altogether different than you and I. He's uniquely separate, displaying himself as the object of absolute worship in the heavens and the earth for all of eternity. There is no one like God, and there is only one God. Psalm chapter 99 tells us that he is holy. It tells us three times. It says, holy is he, holy is he. And then towards the end of Psalm 99, the Bible says, for the Lord our God, he is holy. A.W. Tozer is a phenomenal theologian who actually made a statement, which I quote here, concerning the holiness of God, listen closely. He says, we know nothing like the divine holiness of God. His holiness stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but God's holiness he cannot even imagine. You see, God is holy. Now, here's what we know about us. We are sinners. You know, the Bible makes that very plain in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. 
The scripture says we have all sinned and fallen short of God's holy standard. Now the word sin literally means to miss the mark. That's pretty interesting. Our community group not long ago had the opportunity to go out and do some skeet shooting. Don't let the pink shirt fool you. Y'all all right? It's pink. I've never shot a gun before until I moved here. I've lived here now almost three years, maybe three years, I can't remember, but I do know since I have been here, I have learned to shoot a gun. I shot a turtle one time in the face. <laughs> Point blank, don't mess with me. Right. It was a snapping turtle. Don't feel sorry for him. He will rip your arm off, all right? Also shot a pig one time. It's pretty awesome. Just let the pig out of the back of the cage, gave me a gun, said, shoot it, preacher. And blew his face off. We ate him here at the church, whether you know it or not. For free from that Old Testament law, can I get a witness? Give me a pig. But I've never gone skeet shooting before. And I'll be honest, I am not comfortable around guns. I'm trying to get used to it, you know, trying to put my redneck on. But it's taken me a little time to, to get to it. And so we, we went up on this bridge, basically, and there's all these little stalls where you can line up and you can shoot your gun. They had five different places that were throwing these skeets out by machine. They'd press a gun or press a uh, button, rather, and all of a sudden, man, them skeet are flying everywhere. Just little orange frisbees flying out in the sky. And these guys were firing them up, man, blowing them up all over the place. And somebody looked at me and said, hey, preacher, you, wanna, you ready to shoot? And in my mind, I thought, man, I'm not real sure how to load that thing. Y'all go ahead. I was trying to be sweet. Y'all with me? Y'all, no, y'all go ahead. You, you do what you need to do. I'll do it later. And I just sat there. Really, the reason I said that is because I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to figure it out. I was watching them boys, how they was loading that gun. So finally, I got the gun in my hand, and I said, somebody pass me the bullets. To which they responded, they ain't bullets, preacher. <laughs> They're shotgun shells. I said, put one in here, let me pull the trigger. <laughs> so we loaded them up, and I said, pull. And there they all went, flying out there, boy. And I found them, and I went off firing. Pow, 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 pow. And missed every one of them. <laughs> I ain't hit a one. <laughs> Y'all all right? Not a good shoot shot. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty bad, wasn't it? Here's what I know, though. God is holy. And if we were to yell, pull to the Lord, he would throw out perfection. And nobody can shoot it. We all fall short of his divine standard. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. That's why the space is here. God is holy and we are sinners. But the second reality I want you to jot down this morning is that God is just and we are in trouble. God is just and we are in trouble. Now think about that for a moment. God is just. Psalm 98 calls us to a crescendo of praise concerning the Lord God in which we read and listen to the chapter very clearly let the sea roar and all that it contains let the world and those who dwell in it let the rivers clap their hands and let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord for he is coming to listen to this judge the earth 
He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Now this text of scripture tells us a couple of things about Almighty God. First, it tells us that he is the judge of the universe. He is the great God who created all things. He is the great God who put up a perfect standard. And he is the great God who will execute judgment based upon that perfect standard. The Bible says he will judge the world in righteousness, meaning that he will judge with a right judgment. The Bible says he will judge with equity, meaning that he will judge with fairness. And if the Lord God is going to judge us with fairness, then we all must realize that we are in trouble. God is holy, God is just, we are sinners, and as I said before, we are in trouble. You see, the Bible says in Romans 6 and 23 that the wages of sin is death. God, who is the just judge over his creation, will one day judge you and I. And because we've sinned against him, we deserve death. And if we die in this situation, we'll spend eternity separated from God, experiencing God's judgment in hell. That's what the Bible teaches. We are in trouble. Listen to the prophet Ezekiel, what he said. The soul that sins will surely die. The soul that sins will surely die. Now, every once in a while, we'll run into some folks, and they'll say there's no way in the world that God would sentence people to death and hell. Think for a moment. Use your brain. If you and I went down to a Hall County judge courthouse, and presiding over a particular argument, we realized that the person who was in there was guilty beyond any reasonable doubt. Just guilty. So much evidence stacked against the person, and we all knew it. Could you imagine if the judge stood and looked at that person who was obviously guilty and said, hey, you are free to go. If he set that person free, there would be a riot in the streets. There would be this argument, these voices being raised saying, who is this judge who thinks he can just abandon the law? Who is this judge who thinks he can just let people go without being punished for their crimes? We would all gather together and we would say, this judge is not a good judge. How much more the holy God of heaven who is the judge of the universe. He cannot look at us as sinners and simply abandon his law. If he did, he would no longer be just. And if he abandoned his law and was no longer just, then who is this God? See, God is just. We're in trouble. The soul that sins will surely die. All of that is horrible news. Can I give you all some good news? Yes? Here goes the good news. God is loving and we need mercy. God is loving and we need mercy. Jot it down. God is loving. First John 4 and 16, John says God is love. Now, if God were not a loving God, he would have already sent each one of us to hell. However, because he is a loving and patient God, he does not wish, the Bible says, that any would perish, but that all would come to everlasting life. So that is his patient love. Now, how does he display his love? You know it. Especially if you grew up in church, you've quoted the verse a thousand times. Y'all fill in the blanks for me. For God so loved thee that he gave his only begotten, there's the love. God so loved that he gave. He gave his son. The Bible teaches 
Jesus Christ came, who is the third object brought into the scene. There's a space between us and God, but God sent Jesus Christ, his son. And the Bible says that Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the exact representation of the character and nature of Almighty God the Father. Jesus Christ came in the flesh, and the scripture says he was tempted in all ways as we are, yet he is without sin. Now I will tell you, Jesus came, and he was a prophet. And there are some people who say, I believe he was a good man. I think everything he taught was just phenomenal. And there are some individuals who say, well, Jesus came just to be an example, and there's no doubt he was a great example. But I will tell you this morning that Jesus did not come just simply to be a prophet, nor did he come just simply to be an example. Jesus Christ came to the earth and had his face set like flint toward Jerusalem to go there and die on a cross as the sacrifice for your sin and my sin. So Jesus came and Jesus died. Now this is huge. The Bible says, are y'all listening, say yeah? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You sin, I've sinned. Who should die? We should. Jesus never sinned. Why is he dying? He's dying because he's offering up himself as the payment for your sin and mine. So over 2,000 years ago, you weren't there, nor was I. But God the Father poured out his divine just wrath upon Jesus Christ, his son, for your sin and my sin. God can remain just and holy and loving all at the same time only because of his son, Jesus. Jesus died for you. The Bible says he was buried and resurrected. And can I just add this morning, if somebody gets up from the dead, you better pay attention to him. Jesus got up from the dead. And the Bible says we need mercy. Now, what is mercy? Can I tell you, mercy uh, literally is not getting what you deserve. You deserve hell, I deserve hell, but God's mercy is extended toward us in his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible says God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Peter writes, and I love it, Jesus, he bore in his own body our sins as he died on the tree. The Bible says God uh, demonstrates his love in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus died for your sin. We need mercy. This resurrected king said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God the Father but through me. So how many options are there to get to heaven? How many options are there to get to God? One option. Some people are like, there's no way. There's got to be more ways. I'm shocked there's one. None of us deserve it. Now here's the deal, we need mercy. And what's amazing here is this fourth truth I want to give you, God is offering mercy, all right? He's offering it and we must respond. So he's offering it. How does he offer it? Let's, let's go through it again. Y'all fill the blanks in for me. For God so loved the, that he gave his only begotten, that whosoever would in him would not, but have everlasting life. Now. 
how do we receive everlasting life? How do we receive newness of life? By trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Many people say it's as easy as ABC. You admit that you're a sinner. You believe Jesus died on the cross for you and got up from the dead. And you confess him as Lord. And when you do, you come into a relationship with God the Father through his son Jesus. You are brought into a relationship, listen, with holy God because Jesus cleanses you of all of your sin. Now you can have union with God, but without the Son of God, Jesus, there's no way for you to be cleansed of your sin. And you can't mix holiness and sinfulness. Now, whenever I share this, often I look at the individuals and just simply have this here, and I say, okay, based upon this diagram, where would you say that you are this morning? Where, where would you put yourself? Some people have actually grabbed themselves and pushed it way down on the other side of the table. They're like, I, preacher, I'm way over here, man. That's where I am. And then someone said, well, Levi, I'll tell you what, man. I, I'm I probably am about right there. Can I tell you something? Whether you're way down there or you're right there, if you die, you'll go to the same hell. It is as much a miracle for somebody who is this close to be saved than for somebody that far away to be saved. So how does it happen? God is offering, and we respond. How do we respond? This is huge. I really, I've got too much on my mind to... Some people say, oh, but Levi, wait a minute. I was baptized. Bat baptism isn't how your sins are going to be forgiven. But Levi, wait a minute. I I've, I've gone to church I mean, all my life. That doesn't... Wipe away any sin, steal the space here. I took the Lord's Supper. Space still not covered up. Some are like, but I'm a good person, man. Morally, I'm a nice guy. I mean, I, I would give a shirt off of my back to these people, all right? If they needed help, I would help them. That does not wash your sins away. And yet there are still people relying upon something that they have done to earn them salvation with God. Bible says it is by grace that you are saved. Through faith, that not of yourselves, lest any man would brag on himself. If you can be saved by what you do, you would brag upon yourself all day long. But you can't be saved that way. It's not an option. You come to my house, uh, there's really only one way for you to get in. It's called the front door. Y'all listening? You come in the side door, and I'll get Krista to shoot you with a gun. Y'all listen is what I'll do. Come in the back door. No, no, not a way for you to get in. Can't come through the windows. If you come in any other way except the front door, you're a thief and a robber. Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the door. And if anybody tries to come in any other way, they're a thief and a robber. They can't get in that way. You've got to come by Christ. You don't get in by being religious. You don't get in by uh, a Buddhist method or Islam's method or Hindu's method. None of those methods will forgive you of your sin. That's not an option. God gave the option in his son, Jesus Christ. And for us to try to navigate some other road is to say we don't think Jesus is sufficient to save us. And what a strong statement that is to the very son of almighty God. So you can be saved, you turn from your sin, you trust Christ alone, and that moment you come into a relationship. 
It's as easy as praying like my son did. God, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died and was resurrected. And I want to follow him. God, can I be a Christian? And the Lord's like, yes, you can. <laughs> did y'all hear that? The Lord's like, yes, you can. Levi, you don't know how far away I am. Don't matter. His son's sacrifice is sufficient to reach to the very bottom of the gutter and save your soul. That's where it's at. You know, some people are still skeptical, and I understand that. I ran across a video of a guy named Jim Monroe who was skeptical. Man, I want you guys to take a look at this. So extended, but check out this guy's statement of faith. Play that for us. Uh, I've been playing with cards since I was actually a kid. Been learning this for a really long time. You know, learning how to become a magician, uh, I have developed a skepticism. And um, that's really where my story starts. Having become a magician, you understand that there's some kind of scheme or something going on behind the scenes that's, that's ultimately fake or false. The idea of a god seems really silly. It seems really, really silly. That's like the Wizard of Oz. It's like the, the wizard behind the curtain making things happen. However, one day in college, I got asked to go to a church, um, check it out, and so I did. Something happened to me that morning that I couldn't quite fit into my worldview. There was a way, there was a, there was a version of the story that was shared. I began to ask myself the God question, like, man, maybe there's something more to this. You know, if I was going to believe in this God, if I was gonna believe in the Bible, if I was gonna acknowledge, you know, who ultimately the Bible points to, which who's Jesus, if I was gonna acknowledge all those things, um, I asked, I asked God, I said, man, I said, God, I need you to make this real to me. I need you to make this so real to me. I need you to take me back behind the curtain. Sometimes when you, sometimes when you pray prayers, man, you're not fully, ex you don't want them to be answered. <laughs> um, mine was getting ready to be answered. Here I was, I'm 29 years old. Um, I've been married for five years. I've got a three-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy. And this really intense pain started happening in my leg. And I was popping 10 Advil at a time, trying to make it go away. We decided that it'd probably be best if I went to the ER. They began to run a bunch of tests on me. The doctor walked in. Your white blood cell count's a little bit high. We're gonna do some more tests, we're gonna check it out. Another doctor walked in, and on his name badge it said Texas Oncology, a cancer doctor. And he says, Mr. Monroe, you have leukemia. We gotta do something about this right now. 
This doctor basically told me in two months you're gonna die if we don't do anything. They get me down to MD Anderson Cancer Center and they begin to run this just battery of tests on me. CAT scans, catheter into my chest, sticking huge needles into my spine. It's a complete whirlwind. The first doctor on call who's gonna oversee all of my treatment comes in. He looks at me and he says, he says, Mr. Monroe, I've got some bad news for you. <laughs> and at that point I'm going, you mean like worse than cancer bad news? He says, the kind of, uh, the kind of leukemia that you have is actually more rare than we initially thought. Even if we fight your cancer um, and get you into remission, this thing's gonna come back and we could get you into remission again, and then it's gonna come back. No matter how hard we hit it, it's gonna keep coming back. But there is something, there is something that we want to do. There's something that we can assist in and seeing you completely made well, healed. And I said, okay, let me, let me, let me hear it. We wanna do a procedure called a bone marrow transplant. What we wanna do, is we want to get you into remission by treating you with chemotherapy, but then we want to find somebody somewhere in the world whose DNA matches yours so succinctly that literally we're gonna take their immune system out of their body and put it into yours. We're gonna hope that your body recognizes it enough as its own, and essentially well, it'll begin to grow new white blood cells from an entirely new person. <laughs> that is, that's like real magic. So they went and they tested my biological sister. And my own biological sister wasn't a close enough match, which was a huge blow to the situation. So then they went into this database that the National Bone Marrow Donor Program keeps. And they came back to me and they said, Mr. Monroe, out of the 7 million person database, you've got 16 possible matches. Out of those 16 possible matches, we found one perfect match. It's a 19-year-old female. We found one perfect match. And we were elated, and we were so excited that there was somebody out there who was not only a match, but after being contacted, was willing to give their blood and to be brave enough to give me um, what I needed to live. So they began the process and, and they began the chemotherapy. And um, those first 10 days were just, and they literally destroyed me. You know, as we were going through this process, they would use terminology like, literally, you're gonna be born anew. When we get you to transplant and we put this new blood inside of you, you're gonna be given a new, um, you're gonna be given a new birthday. You're gonna be like a baby inside the womb all over again. And I'd heard that terminology before in scripture. So I was thinking, man, this is kind of weird. I'm, I'm literally dying to death. 
And then they brought that bag of blood into the room. The whole time, this whole process was waiting to get that new blood on the inside of me. And I stick it in my IV and the new blood begins to run into my body. The doctors and nurses, everybody involved are hoping that my body will accept this new blood. And it did. My body accepted this new blood and it slowly began to build a new immune system. And, and I'm completely cancer-free today. I'm 100% cancer-free. It's no longer I who lives, but someone else who lives inside of me. When they look at my, when they look at my blood now, they investigate it, they don't see, um, they don't see a 30-year-old male. They see a 19-year-old female, literally got XX chromosome living on the inside of me. A substitution of blood on my behalf so that I could live again and so that the deception of my body would die. That to me is very difficult to ignore. Asking God to reveal himself to me, that's very difficult to ignore. And I believe that all of us have a spiritual cancer that's eating us away on the inside and we really take a look at it and we are dying and we're begging for somebody to intervene and to step in on our behalf. There's not a question in my mind that the only answer for the human condition is that of Jesus. My life with Jesus has completely changed as a result of my darkest hour. And um, I'm actually thankful for the process I've had to go through. As a skeptic and a magician, I fully believe, I fully believe in not only who God is, but what he did for me. There's no question in my mind. My name is Jim Monroe, and I am second. It's a pretty awesome story, isn't it? It's also a reminder of the fact that there is only one possible match for any of us, and it's Jesus. And if you don't come by Christ, you will not come. Listen, if you're a disciple of Christ and member of our church, then you're challenged this week. The challenge is very simple. I want you to go and share using three objects with someone about Jesus. Now, I know what happens is you say, well, how in the world would I ever start that conversation? Here's how you start it. Listen closely. You go up to somebody, whoever it is you're going to share with, and you say, uh, my preacher last Sunday said I had to share something. I'm going to share it with you now. Are y'all listening? And they will pay attention. And it'll give you an opportunity. God created you to know him. Space is there because of sin. God doesn't like it. He sent Jesus. Jesus died for you, got up from the dead. If you'll turn from your sin and trust Christ, you can be changed.
There's the gospel. You know this. Share it. We can't come up in here and talk about we love Jesus and not talk about Jesus. We can't come up in here and sing, Lord Jesus, you're the fairest of 10,000. And then not go tell people about Christ. This is our mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is uniquely with you when you are seeking to make disciples. Get on it. Let's bow. Father, in the name of Jesus, speak to hearts even now.